Continuing our study of Ted Tripp's book, Shepherding a Child's Heart, we're on to chapter 9 this week, dealing with various types of communication in parenting. Again, while our main focus is parenting, I trust that even for those who are not parents, uh, there will be some wisdom here in regard to biblical communication. As Tripp has made clear, communication is one of the key biblical methods of parenting, but there are lots of different types of communication that we need to be familiar with. So right off the bat in the chapter, he says that as he has spoken to uh, different groups of parents, most parents will quickly admit that 80 to 90 percent of their communication with their children consists of rules, correction, and discipline. Does that sound familiar? Now, these types of communication are important. Uh, We have to have them. But, and and we have to have a lot of it. But I think 80 to 90% is a bit excessive. And Tripp argues that we need this rich, uh, multi-layered, underlayer, multifaceted base layer of communication with our kids in order to support the rules and the, you know, the discipline. Uh, encouragement, correction, rebuke, entreaty, instruction, warning, teaching, prayer. I've combined some of those. I think they're awfully similar, but um, we will talk about them today. First, I want you to turn to 1 Thessalonians 5.14. Right after Colossians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1 Thessalonians. Follow as I read, 1 Thessalonians 5.14, and remember this is the Word of God. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle. Admonish means warn Admonish or warn the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. Pretty standard there. Uh, pretty straightforward. I just want us to see that different circumstances call for different types of communication. And it takes wisdom and discernment to know uh, which communication is needed. Wisdom and discernment come from the Lord. It is imperative if we are going to do this well. We don't always do it well. Uh, We will need to ask forgiveness often. But, you know, to grow in our wisdom and discernment of what is needed when, we need to always be abiding with the Lord and, and, you know, walking with Him, asking of Him. Who has given uh, rebuke or correction when what was needed was encouragement? After the fact, you're like, yeah, you know, I think that was a little excessive and uh, I think really they were already pretty broken up by whatever was going on they probably just needed a little encouragement or so that we know what this feels like who has ever been rebuked or corrected when what was needed was encouragement right it's not so productive you know people come to my office with all different sorts of things and back to last week it takes uh, being an attentive listener maybe asking good questions to know what kind of communication is needed. Sometimes it's rebuke, correction, sometimes it's encouragement, sometimes warning, sometimes prayer. In fact, I think we would do well to try to couple prayer with all of these modes of communication with our children. 
Um, we'll talk more about that later. So let's work through these. Uh, first, encouragement. You know, we do a lot of pushing against uh, kind of the self-esteem, which is so popular in the, the psychology movements in our culture and pushing against some of that because we know our children need more than affirmation uh, in order to thrive, but they do need that. They need us to keep them going. They need us to build courage into them by championing their cause. So when uh, we started school with Levi, he was regularly saying that he wasn't good at it. And in reality, he was quite good. He just, it wasn't coming naturally, right? You have to learn and uh, grow, and he didn't like that. So whatever it was, if it didn't come naturally and he couldn't do it right away, he was easily discouraged. He needed encouragement. He needed some correction too. He needed some instruction. He needed some training. He needed to understand that part of learning is, you know, starting out not knowing and, and growing into that. So often our children will need various types of communication at the same time. But what uh, sticks out to me as I look back on that is he really needed encouragement that he was doing a good job that he could keep working hard, and he was making progress. Um, Tripp mentions an, an example of a boy who was having regular angry outbursts at his classmates. And once he calmed down, Mr. Tripp was able to talk to him, and, hey, what's going on, buddy? You know, this is a pattern, and we need to talk about it. And the kid said, you know, it's no use. I shouldn't play. Every time I play, this happens. I get angry. So at first glance, when we look at that situation, we might think this boy really needs some rebuke. He really needs some correction. But what's the point of rebuke and correction? It's it's to notify them of what they're doing and bring them into understanding of what they're doing wrong. Well, he was already there, and he was already upset about it. So Tripp's saying this wasn't a time for rebuke or correction. That had already been done maybe by the Holy Spirit. At least, you know, his conscience was active. In the process, what he really needed was some gospel encouragement. Our children get frustrated. They feel hopeless at times. Uh, The things that make them feel hopeless may not be any big deal to us, but in their little worlds, these are the things that are burdening them. So back to last week, incarnational ministry, incarnational parenting, entering into whatever they're going through. We can enter into their discouragement and offer them encouragement in God's Word. I think that these vulnerable moments in their lives are some of the great teachable moments for gospel encouragement. Helping them understand the sufficiency of the Lord, helping them understand our own insufficiency, putting ourselves in their shoes and letting them know, me too, uh, and helping them build courage and find hope from the Lord. So, uh, what are some examples, if you can think of some, where our children might need encouragement? They're pretty encouraged. <laughs> I, I mean... Any, there's all sorts of different scenarios, right? But um, just wherever, I think a lot of times they will want to easily give in, and if it doesn't come naturally, whatever it may be, maybe that's not school for them, but you know, whatever it is, um, just the affirmation encouragement is important. Next, correction. 
God's word is our standard. When our children fall short of the standard, they need to learn the standard. They need also to learn how to think about their thoughts, their feelings, their emotions, and uh, their actions in relation to the standard. So we've talked about this a good bit. I won't belabor the point, but correction is a necessary part of the daily discipline and instruction of our children. They need to understand the standard. They need to not just understand that they did something wrong, and they know that by our temperature, but they need to understand what they did wrong, what was wrong with that, um, what the right way is. I had someone say to me one time, I don't think you've ever been told no. And I was like, I actually think I've been told no a lot. Maybe I haven't ever been told what to do instead. So it's not only learning where they failed, but also what is the alternative according to God's Word. Um, and again, correction is uh, hard on our children. Sometimes they make it harder on themselves when they don't receive it uh, fluidly. But this should often be coupled with the first type of communication, which is gospel encouragement. Uh, sometimes correction is multi-layered. So Tripp gives an example on page 83, which I thought was really good. And as our children get older and you know more crafty, I could see this. But uh, he uses his, an example of his wife's Mar- uh, Margie's correction of, of one of their daughters. And Margie was correcting the daughter about whatever it was that she did wrong. And she was you know nodding along. Yes, ma'am. I understand. I understand. Yes, ma'am. And just kind of going with the flow. And she figured... I don't think they're really locked in here. I think they're just kind of, they know the drill now and uh, I'm going to listen to mom and then this will all be over soon and I'll be able to go back and do whatever I'm going to do. So she applied a deeper correction to the problem uh, because her daughter wasn't receiving correction. So from the book of Proverbs, I believe he mentioned chapter nine, she contrasted the way a wise person receives correction and the way a foolish person or a mocker receives correction, which is to say they don't. Um, They may look like they are, but they're not engaged with it. So the original issue led to a deeper issue that likewise needed correction. I think we've all experienced some of that where you you came here and how do we get here, but now we've got to deal with these other things. Of course, in order to, I thought that was a great example, but it's also intimidating because, I mean, that happened sort of in the flow of a relationship, and she obviously knew Proverbs chapter 9, you know. And, I, you know, God's not going to call to mind things that aren't there somewhere, but He will often call to mind even in a more impressive fashion. Like, you'll have had a quiet time that you thought was less than productive, and it really was hard to kind of track with all of the you know, points that were being made in the text. And then later, the Holy Spirit will use that to bring it to mind and it'll fit together more fluidly then than it did then. Um, if it hasn't happened, it will. But it's just, I think that's the way God works is as we recall the things that He has uh, given us in His Word. But the point being, practical action steps, uh, we have to know our Bibles. And I've been reading a book recently. Uh, This guy was commenting on the fact, and he was talking about Christian colleges, but he was saying that many 
professors at these colleges are alarmed and amazed at how biblically illiterate students are when they come. And these are not pagan students. These are students that grew up in youth groups in, with VBS, uh, and they were very active in their church, and yet biblically illiterate. I think that that's true of our generation in not everyone, but I mean, generally speaking, there are a lot of people that grew up in church that we don't know how to navigate our Bibles. We don't really know what's in them. And it's even worse for, it seems, the younger generation. Um, Maybe that's because we live in the information age. You know, there's some amazing statistics about how we receive more information in a given day and on our smartphones than what someone like Spurgeon or something like that would have received in his lifetime in a newspaper or something. I mean, it's just crazy the kinds of things that are coming at us from every angle. Uh, So there's all this other information competing for our attention, but that doesn't mean we're excused. It just means we're going to have to work harder, probably to drown out some of the other information and to lock in on the information in the Bible that we know is essential. Um, you know, I think also just the speed of life. One of the panel, uh, one of the titles, I don't know what the title is going to be. One of the topics on the panel series is going to be about the speed of life, you know, and just it's fast and hard and it seems to only get faster. And that's, you know, at every stage of life, I think maybe uh, an empty nest provides a little more time and maybe when you're single or newly married or something like that. But it seems that as you go, you know, um, things get faster. And we're going to talk about that because, uh, you know, the things that get choked out with the speed are some of the things that we absolutely need. So a big reason Bible literacy is low is because I think Again, generally, not universally, but we have undervalued the place of deep, consistent, daily, personal Bible reading. And really, that is the way that we grow in our competency of uh, the Word. We, we get fed and we get guardrails, so to speak, so that we know we're not just flying off the cliff in our corporate times. Um, but... You know, whether it's reading or now we have the option of listening, audio Bibles and things like that, we can get creative, but nothing can replace that personal, devotional intake of God's Word, just you and God, um, in terms of growing in our Bible literacy. So, that doesn't mean we're going to be scholars. We don't have to be scholars, uh, but we do have to know it. I was reading an article this week about, it was very encouraging, I think would be for you mothers especially, Uh, it was about John Piper and the influence John Piper's mom had on him. Uh, It's a part of a series that Tim Challies, if you're familiar with Tim Challies, uh, I think it's challies.com, he's a good, uh, he has a good blog, he writes good uh, commentary on different books that are out and things like that. But he's doing a, I guess leading up to Mother's Day, he's doing a series on um, Christians and their godly mothers. And uh, so this week was Piper, and I think John Piper would say no one has influenced him more spiritually and practically than his mom. Uh, His dad was a traveling evangelist, was gone two-thirds of the year. And his mom was a workhorse and shouldered much of the burden in terms of just 
teaching the faith to the children and a lot of just the practical stuff too. Um, she was not a scholar. John Piper is. Very impressive. She was not. Not even close. She had a very deep faith, but he says it was very simple. Um, he said he only ever remembers her quoting from the Proverbs. So she may not have even known her whole Bible super well, but she knew the Proverbs backward and forward. And I think that's an idea. Now, I, w- I would suggest, and I'm sure she knew the Bible, but she had really honed in there. You know, the, the context of Proverbs is parent-to-child instruction. There, there are things that people outside of that context can learn, certainly, but that is the main context that it was given. So, during this season of our lives while we're raising children, that is a great book to really study. I mean, get some good commentaries on it, try to figure it out, and really hone in and just do it over and over and over again. Repetition, and it'll lock in. Why not memorize some of it? Why not memorize it with your kids? Um, We only get one shot at this thing. It's something I keep saying, but, you know, something that the pace of our lives threatens to do is just we wake up and they're gone. You know, it happens quick. They get older. It's never too late, even when they move out of the house, to have a a gospel, godly influence on your children. At the same time, from this side of things, uh, might we be, you know, zealous and courageous and work hard to do some of these things? Because I think you look on this side of the impact and influence. John Piper is an exceptional example. But, I mean, just the... I look around this room and the impact of godly mothers, you know, not only speaking to mothers, but that was part of the deal. And so for all of us, might we not underestimate what God can do with a little Um, faithfulness to, you know, just walk with him. All right. Next is rebuke. Tripp says, sometimes... A child must experience your sense of alarm, shock, and dismay at what they have done or said. The key word that stuck out to me there was guess. Sometimes. (laughs) If we are alarmed or dismayed about everything, then we desensitize our children to the sense of alarm and dismay. They just think that's normal. So they're not able to tell when something is really a big, serious deal. And then, you know, it's just not useful when we need it. So the normal, hard as it may be, crushing as it may be, sometimes the normal should be calm and collected. Uh, We can't do it in our own strength. But, as we studied in Ephesians 6, be strong in the Lord and the strength of His might. He has fresh supplies of His grace and strength for us every day. What are some examples of uh, when rebuke might be appropriate? When they need to know we're alarmed and tone is intense. Yes, running in the street. Um, Two-year-old grabs a knife off the table. Yes, or a box cutter, um, 
or, you know, trying to step on your sister's head or whatever other evil thing that you're trying to do. Um, But there is an appropriate sense of shock, you know, but we don't want to devalue that to them by being shocked when the Cheerios hit the floor, right? I mean, they're just Cheerios. We do have brooms. Um, But that's something that we really have to work on is being appropriately shocked at the right times. And, you know, our sins are forgiven. God has given us grace to repent, and that may be a good place to start. I also thought about hypocrisy. I mean, uh, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. There is a rebuke. So our children will act like they've earned God's grace, right? They're so smart that God loves them. And, uh, you know, they're really, I remember someone telling me that their child said, you know, I'm the best Christian in the class, but there's this one other girl, she's pretty close. And, uh, (laughs) you know, when they just act as though they're better than others and what do you have that you did not receive, right? I mean, it's all gift. And that's a big part of what we're trying to train them up in is a proper view of God's grace. But uh, that is an appropriate time for rebuke. And there was great intensity. Um, Jesus' veins were popping when he said that. Or when they opposed the ways of God. You know, Jesus told his disciples that he would have to die. And then three days later, he would rise. And Peter said, far be it from you, Lord, that would never happen to you. And what did he say? Get behind me, Satan. (laughs) You know, I mean, Jesus is bold. So if our children, and this may happen as they get a little older, and it becomes less cool with their peers, and they want to kind of, you know, temper some of the Jesus stuff that we're doing and make it seem a little more palatable, Uh, If they ever try to get us to stop seeking the Lord, stop praying to the Lord, stop serving the Lord, rebuke is appropriate. And they need to know where our allegiance lies, and it's not with them. We love them. We are going to be faithful to them, but there are appropriate times. There are more. These are some that came to my mind when they get in danger, when they put someone else in danger. Um, And God will give wisdom. You know, there's often, we can tell there's an urgency to the situation, but... The big thing for us, I think, is to really ask God, show us our sin. Show us, convict me when I am inappropriately intense. You know, when I am just, the temperature's up and and we're talking about Cheerios. You know, whatever it is, uh, might God give us wisdom. The next is entreaty. This is an earnest, intense, pleading urging, even begging. Tripp had a good quote. He said, This is not the begging of a beggar, rather the earnest pleading of a father or mother who, understanding your child, understanding the ways of God, and understanding the extremity of the moment, is willing to bear your soul in earnest pleading for your child to act in wisdom and faith. He mentioned Proverbs twenty-three twenty-six, which begins, My son, give me your heart. You know, it is... Face in hands, my eyes might get red, we need to talk, and I am pleading with you. 
Um, again, if we plead about everything, it loses its effectiveness. But my guess is we don't use this type of communication enough. It's a, it's a little bit out of the box. It's a little, um, you know, maybe it's a little too emotional and, and scary for us or whatever. But I'm not the standard by any means in any of this, I assure you. But here's an example of how I've used this with my son. Uh, I don't know how long ago. He's five. It was probably when he was three, maybe turning four. But he went through a really bad spell, um, you know, a little terrorist at home. And any time, I mean, it seemed like every day and I was gone and, you know, he really knew how to master his mommy and uh, just was ugly. I believe she was pregnant. It was probably, you know, uh, <laughs> it's a good, either that or nursing. Um, she was limited in what she could do, you know, physically and he was just he knew that and he was taking full advantage and he was being wicked i mean you know just i know all sin is wickedness and all that but like this was you know high wickedness and so we were disciplining frequently and and um you know there was a time when i with tears in my eyes pleaded for him and he's familiar with the language of the proverbs you know the the way of the fool and the way of the wise and uh, just try to communicate that to him, but you know, just very clearly telling him, you are being a fool. Please do not continue to harden your heart to God. You know, tears in my eyes. He knew I'm in it. He knew I was locked in. My heart, I was serious. Now, did he sin again? Of course he did. But I would actually say that through some urgent pleading, God used that fruitfully. And, um, you know, I would commend it to you. We don't do it all the time, but we ought to do it some. And uh, Tripp used the example of uh, sexual sin. He, he's done this. I think he has multiple sons. This needs to happen with our daughters as well. But uh, just the urgency, the depravity of their own hearts, of the culture that we live in, the urgency that they pay attention. Again, that is the context. Listen to me, son or daughter. That is Proverbs. That, there is an urgency to the communication. And, and, you know, you start off, I mean, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. It's all about the way of wisdom versus the way of folly. And you get to, I mean, there's a whole lot in there about sexual sin. Um, so those kinds of things, I mean, there's just appropriate times to not just have the talk, you know, but like pull up your sleeves and this is really important. You know, I love you. It's really important that you listen to me right now. And, and, you know, that tone will matter to them. They will, well, daddy was sure riled up, you know, well, you don't know what you don't know. Um, The next type of communication is related. It is warning. I think warnings are some of the most underappreciated parts of the Bible, and there are lots of them. Um, I think often in our attempt to make a lot of grace, we make little of biblical warnings, and we end up missing it in the end. If, If our understanding of grace doesn't have room for consistent biblical warning, uh, then we have misunderstood grace. So there are, there's a good list, and I'll just mention it. It's on page 85. Um, 
you know, he's kind of forming warnings out of these various uh, Proverbs. It's all from Proverbs. But 12.24, laziness ends in slave labor is, I don't know what translation he's using, but 13.18, he who ignores discipline comes to poverty and shame. 14.23, mere talk leads only to poverty. 15.1, a harsh word stirs up anger. 16.18, pride goes before destruction. So basically, out of all of these types of things, um, we would be forming personal warnings for our children, you know, from these uh, warnings in Scripture. Son or daughter, if you continue to be lazy, it will lead to destruction in your life. It will lead to bitter fruit that you don't want. And you know what? They may have learned that from us, and so we might have some repenting to do. I mean, there's, uh, again, as often as we can, we want to be the chief repenter. Like we talked about last week, we want to lead them away from this. Uh, repentance is a great teacher. Son or daughter, I know that you enjoy doing this or that, uh, but I think you're becoming prideful. And please know that there are many things God hates, but at the top of that list is pride. And, and He will bring you low. Humble yourself. Realize that this is, you know, we're warning them. Realize this is a gift. Realize this is not your own doing. Uh, these are good things. Instruction and teaching, we've talked a lot about this. Um, I won't talk much more about it, but I will mention again, the three, probably the three most famous passages in the Bible on teaching. Deuteronomy 6, 6 and 7, uh, that's, you know, you shall teach them diligently when you rise up, uh, when you lie down, when you sit in the house, when you walk by the way, it's talking about teaching. Um, when you, Proverbs 22, 6, train up a child in the way it should go. When they're old, they will not depart from it. I mean, that's, again, we're talking about training, teaching. Ephesians 6, 4, address to fathers, not only for fathers. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Raise them in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So this is a huge part of what we're called to do. Uh, parents have the primary responsibility of the teaching and instruction of our children about God, about the world, about their sin, about themselves, about how to follow the Lord, uh, it is certainly helpful to have a good church, to have good pastors, to have good Sunday school teachers. Um, but we as parents are on the front lines of that uh, responsibility. So, the last one is prayer, and then we'll be done. Uh, Tripp says that the most penetrating insights we will gain into our children is in their prayers. Of course, we won't have those if we don't build a culture of prayer in the home. And I would say the reverse is true as well. The most penetrating insights that they will have into us will come in our prayers as, as we articulate our fears, our concerns, our uh, sin, our adoration of God, and, and uh, our worship of Him. So, let us not let our teaching and training and instruction be all talk and no walk. I think prayer is uh, right at the front of where talk and walk meet. And, uh, you know, it just speaks volumes, just the fact that we are praying because we know we need God. And uh, our children pick up more than we realize in that. Because at that point, we're not just speaking to them about God, even from God, uh, which, which we do. But we're teaching them how to speak to God. And uh, by speaking to God ourselves, by speaking to God on their behalf, they are learning how, how to do the same. So, we tend to have a heavy dose of rules, correction, and discipline. Those things are very good. 
Uh, we're going to talk more about that here either next chapter or the next when we get to the rod and, and the need of those kinds of things. But we need this healthy, uh, multi-layered base of communication with our children, all various types, depending on the situation. Does anyone have any thoughts or questions about that? All right, are y'all enjoying the book? Pretty good, pretty good. It's been helpful for me. Let's pray. God in heaven, we are the most privileged of all people in the world that we can know you, the one true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Not because we deserve it, Lord, we do not. We do not deserve it. But we thank you for your grace. We thank you for the forgiveness of sins, even the sins that today's lesson have stirred up and and exposed. Lord, we bring them to you now and, and we thank you that they are forgiven. We do ask for fresh grace and mercy and fresh fillings of the Holy Spirit so that we might repent that we might walk in your paths, that we might uh, be faithful and fruitful in our responsibilities to our children. Lord, um, please give us wisdom and understanding and the knowledge of you as this applies in our communication to our children, but not only to our children, in all of our relationships. Lord, would you grow us into your likeness and image to follow you in your paths. Uh, We know that your ways are good. We know that they are true. We know that they will be fruitful. And we know that the the path of sin will always lead us to destruction. Lord, uh, would you give special grace to our children that they might indeed fear you, uh, submit to you, know you, know your love for them, know your patience with them, know your grace to them. Lord, we commit them to your care and ask that you would establish them in your paths. And we pray in Christ's name. Amen.